Welcome to Nothing Never Happens. Uh, today's podcast is an interview with two people from the Kairos Center at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. First is Willie Baptist, who has been working as an organizer, a teacher, educator, scholar, activist, writer for over 50 years. Um, and he is uh, the Poverty Initiative Scholar-in-Residence and co-coordinator of Poverty Scholarship and Leadership Development for the Cairo Center. He is also, in terms of his writing, um, a co-editor and writer with Jan Raymond of the book Pedagogy of the Poor, Building the Movement to End Poverty. And uh, he co-wrote an article with Liz Thea Harris, Reading the Bible with the Poor, Building a Social Movement Led by the Poor as a United Social Force. Um, also like to welcome Dr. Colleen Wessel McCoy, who has been involved with the Poverty Initiative and the Cairo Center since 2004. She last May completed her doctorate in Christian Social Ethics at Union Theological Seminary, and she is the very first religion and social justice major uh, with a BA in Religion and Social Justice from Agnes Scott College. Uh, and she actually helped us um, write the, and develop the curriculum for that major uh, back in the early part of this century. <laughs> so uh, she has worked in, um, as a tenant organizer in Chicago. She has done uh, popular education all over uh, the country, including in New Orleans after Katrina and in Appalachia. Um, her dissertation was on Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision for the Poor People's Campaign of 1968 on uh, its lessons for social movements today. And I'm especially um, grateful to have Willie and Colleen on this podcast today because it's the 50th anniversary of the Memphis sanitation worker strike. And April 4th is coming up, of course, is the anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. So this is um, a Kairos moment, as they would call it, at the Kairos Center. And uh, that goes in with their uh, mission statement, where they say, we believe we are living in a Kairos moment, a moment of great change and transition where the old ways of doing things are breaking down. New ones are trying to emerge, and decisive action is demanded. So it is uh, the work that they're doing now that they're going to uh, speak about today with the new Poor People's Movement that uh, the Cairo Center, Lysia Harris, the Reverend William Barber from Goldsboro, North Carolina, down the road from my hometown where I grew up, amazingly, <laughs> and, uh, you know, doing this work of popular education and movement building in a really uh, critical time um, to do this justice work. Uh, so welcome, Willie and Colleen, to Nothing Never Happens. Okay. Thank you for Thank having you for us. Having, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Well, you've been, both of you have been doing this work uh, a while and um, are living in a particular moment, but I want to I want to start with uh, the background from each of you uh, and what got you in and motivated you to do this kind of movement building. 
Willie, I'll start. Um, yes. I, I'm very excited to be, be here with you, Tina, and, you know, I think that a big part of actually my story of being here is the political and popular education that you introduced me to uh, when I was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I grew up in Marietta, Georgia, and so I was represented for most of my life by Newt Gingrich as my <laughs> representative in Congress, and, mm -hmm. uh, and the, you know, in the district that goes with that. Yeah, uh, I grew up as a as a United Methodist, and um, you know, was in church three days a week for <laughs> uh, youth ministry and Sunday service and Bible study, and uh, you know, and that was really formative in in my life too, and a big part of uh, even though it was a, a a fairly conservative religious tradition theologically and in terms of biblical in interpretation, you know, it's hard to hide <laughs> the the place of the poor in the Bible, and so. Yeah, uh, I learned, you know, going down, you know, I grew up in the suburbs, but, you know, we would go up into the mountains and uh, and service there and down into Atlanta, service there. And even in the suburbs, there was the the beginnings of what now is, is real growing poverty in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And so I got exposed to this real breadth of crisis uh, through the church. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that has stayed with me and is part of why I continued to, you know, came to college and was interested in religious studies and, and has con have continued to look at what, what Christian ethics means in a time of crisis uh, and reading in, the, reading in the Bible that the Bible is actually, you know, what, is it, mm -hmm. what does it mean and, and who is God in a, in a time of crisis. So um, in, in college, I think it was, it was really being introduced not just within the classroom, but being mm -hmm. introduced to the idea that, you know, what happens on our campus is part of what it means to be a student and what it means to be part of a community. And so organizing on campus around racism mm -hmm. and organizing on campus around wages uh, was as much a part of my education as, you know, going, going to class. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, then that, and then that class time was really, really important to you, really significant for uh, being committed to seeing learning spaces as a place of transformation. Mm -hmm. And learning spaces is how we come to know the world and how we learn how to learn about the world. And so I think more than anything, that's what I took from, from that moment. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I, I first learned the word organizing, first learned what an organizer was. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then after graduation, started looking for, for chances to do more organizing and, and uh, moved to Chicago as a yeah. place where organizing happens and uh, worked as a tenant organizer um, for a plate for a supportive housing program mm -hmm. and it was got a, a lot of good you know solid organizing training there did some you know some good sort of Alinsky style organizing mm -hmm. and, and at the same time you know felt like as hard as we were working the types of change that we were able to make possible was really small compared to the scale yeah. of the crisis. Yeah. Uh, so at one point I was organizing for affordable housing set-asides that I, as an organizer, couldn't afford. And so, you know, we were in a community where large numbers of the community couldn't afford what was the affordable housing that we were fighting mm. to have included and what was a, an even higher-priced development. Yeah. And so I had, you know, I had, those were the types of questions I had been planning to go to seminary, but those were some of the questions 
that I brought with me to seminary. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the first day I, of uh, student orientation, there was an orientation fair, and I met Willie <laughs> Baptist and Liz Theo Harris. Uh, yeah. She was not yet the Reverend or Dr. Liz Theo Harris, but mm -hmm. uh, met Liz Theo Harris, and they, you know, told me a little bit about the uh, Kensington Welfare Rights Union yeah. and the Poor People's Economic Human Rights Campaign and the work that they had been doing for many, many decades and some of the, some of the questions that they were asking uh, and started, you know, in the, in the way that, you know, the work we were doing at Agnes Scott was both within yeah. and beyond the classroom at Union Seminary, started working both within and beyond the classroom Mm -hmm. uh, on how thinking, thinking about and learning, learning, you know, the theories and the, the experiences and the pedagogies that are mm -hmm. going to help us move forward a real social movement that's capable of bringing the scale of change that, that really matches the scale of the problem. Yeah, um, yeah. So you were beginning to make the connections between religion and human rights and mm -hmm. um, uh, movements for social change. So I wonder if maybe Willie, if if it's a good moment for you to talk a little bit about about you know your work, as this is you know this is this is where I started to really get to work with Will, Willie and learn from from his oh, yeah. history. Yeah, I'm. I was thinking. I don't know if you want to talk about this, <laughs> but I remember yeah. I remember one summer you worked at a Waffle House in uh -huh. uh, Marietta, Georgia. Yeah, in the uh, in. Uh, Cherokee County. Cherokee County. Uh, oh, even in, better. Yeah. Woodstock. <laughs> Woodstock. Woodstock. Okay. Yeah. You know, it was, um, I ended up, uh, what I had planned for the summer uh, didn't work. And and I, I needed a job that um, that would hire me very quickly and, and would be flexible with a couple. I was, it was also a child care provider at the time, but that mm -hmm. was only part-time work, and, uh, and you know, Waffle House was uh, mm -hmm. uh, willing to hire me very quickly and train me very quickly and let me, and it ended up being a place where I was able to pick up shifts um, over several summers, and even when I was home for breaks, mm -hmm. uh, I could come in and, and say, and that, you know, that was, uh, I ended up making about, at the time, uh, I remember I'd averaged about $8 an hour. Yeah, which was actually more than I was making as a child care provider huh. at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, you know, I was, it was, um, it was interesting to, to get to know shift work and mm -hmm. um, to, to be, you know, in conversation with folks about how that, how that work, you know, works with their life. I mean, there was something yeah. that was somewhat flexible about it and then something that was always, uh, it was, it was exhausting. Yeah. Um, we did get meals and I, I'm always shocked to hear like a lot of folks I know that work in food right now don't actually get meals. And I think that that, that really bothers me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the, the threat right now to tip wages, uh, is, is really concerning. Uh, is also as part of, of what's on the the national table, uh, oh, yeah. taking taking away the right to uh, changing how tips work. And I know that you know tip theft has always been a big part of of the struggle for restaurant workers as well. Yeah. So more wage theft. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Willie. Yes. Okay. You joined. You you went away for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm up here in the mountains of West Virginia, and so I guess. They're, <laughs> services is not just kind of off and on but yeah uh, understand well we want to bring you back in um because uh i've since i use pedagogy of the poor in my religion education and activism class i know your background really well but uh i don't think the listeners do so if you would um, talk about what what got you into uh becoming an organizer and what you know conscientized you um to do this kind of work well, first of all, I, I mean, most of, I'm nearly uh, 70 years old, and I've been around for quite some time. And much of my life, uh, at least the basic factors of my life, is that I've been poor. Uh, and I've worked mm-hmm. all kinds of jobs, uh, from dishwashing to assembly work, over the time of my life. But most of my, job, my jobs were uh, what we call SLJs, shitty little jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and I... I spent almost a year homeless on the streets of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, August 11, 1965, uh, I was 17 years old, and the Watts uprising took place uh, in South Central L.A. That's where the Watts neighborhood uh, is located. And that inaugurated a whole period of, of, uh, of uprising in the ghettos throughout the country. Some 300 or more cities erupted mm-hmm. for the latter half of the of the 60s and uh uh it was quite an awakening for me and still i'm a student of the watts uprising and that whole period of of developments and stuff Mm -hmm. i mean anytime you have uh tanks and uh and carol burns caravan uh, vans of uh police uh right in your community yeah uh, you know there's an awakening and almost traumatic experience that i had during that period Hmm. And uh, and it, it really shaped me in the sense that I moved from a kind of individualized outlook on life to a much more uh, much deeper sense of social responsibility that yeah. indeed the problems that beset myself was inseparably connected to problems that uh, was related to the whole of society. And so that that being poor and, and having to come up in the, the ghetto experience uh, really was the conditioning factor mm-hmm. I I uh, I went to college uh, Pepperdine College in South Central at that time before it moved to Malibu mm-hmm. and uh, I, but I didn't graduate uh, but I did graduate from what I call the University of Adversity that mm-hmm. is the school yeah. of hard knocks and I think I've been very fortunate to be alive but also fortunate for a kind of educational process that involved that involved both basically book learning which is, uh, you know, the, uh, the the kind of university college teaching is heavily pitted on book learning, which is a great source of information because you're talking about the the summary of, of life, of experiences, of, of, of history, and within various disciplines and so on and so forth. But uh, my 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 uh, learning in mm-hmm. the school of hard knocks uh, of life experiences, I is. You know, the combination of the two uh, mm-hmm. really has given me, uh, uh, has made me who I am and so on. Uh, I've been involved with, uh, since the uprising, I've been involved, uh, the Watts uprising. I've yeah. been involved with activities uh, 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 and, act, and, uh, and uh, organizing uh, in the impoverished communities, especially. 
for mm-hmm. over for over 50 years, as you mentioned earlier. But of those 50 years, uh, more than 40 of those years, I've always uh, tended toward the educational aspect of the organizing. I've always yeah. always gravitated toward what change in people's thinking uh, that people have to undergo for mm-hmm. uh, the kind of organizing to meet the, uh, the task before us. And so uh, my my main uh, concern and uh, emphasis is on this problem of education. Yeah, uh, besides yeah. the Watts Uprising, I was involved with the Homeless Union Organizer, and I was just uh, organizing uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at the height of the homeless organizing, we had organized over, well, 25,000 to 300 homeless uh, families, mm-hmm. homeless uh, uh, individuals uh, was organized. Uh, we organized, uh, we had about, at the founding convention in, in, uh, in Chicago, where uh, we had about 900 you know, delegates of homeless folks. Uh, in L.A., we had about uh, over 1,000. And in mm. New York, at Riverside Church, we had uh, over 1,200. Yeah. And at our height, we had about 25 locals in 25 states. That And this is homeless folks organizing homeless folks. Mm-hmm. This is not somebody. And, and the homelessness uh, was, uh, at that period and still today, is 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 not the the image that is portrayed over the over the media yeah. uh, where you see is it's not the skid row uh, uh, homeless is is families mm-hmm. is uh, the average I would say the average oh, yeah. at least at that time the average homeless person was a was a nine year old white kid mm-hmm. uh, and that is, is even more so today and yet most people's thinking about homelessness is restricted to this the misconceptions that are attached to the stereotypes that we get of the homeless and the poor uh, today. Right. So anyway, uh, having to be involved with the homeless union organizing, those kinds of stereotypes were, were broken. Mm-hmm. So the educational impact of that of that experience, you know, really taught me about the problems of homelessness, that homelessness yeah. was a consequence of, uh, of economic and more basic factors than race or uh, some laziness or mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the things that we we are told about the problems of homelessness which doesn't get us any way closer to solving the problem because you've got to get at the root of the problem if you're going to solve any any problems so anyway yeah. uh, I I was also uh, a member of a group called the Kinsel Warfare Rights Union mm-hmm. and I was 10 years the 10 years the education director of that organization uh, again yeah. I'm always gravitated toward education mm-hmm. and now I'm uh, uh, I'm a member of the uh, picture of the homeless which is a 16 year old homeless organization and also a member of Carroll Center a poverty mm-hmm. initiative and I'm with uh, with Colleen and also uh, John uh, Wessel McCarry we are the three co-coordinators of the poverty scholarship leadership development uh, process of the Carroll Center at Union Theological Seminary mm-hmm. I mean I can stop there yeah, well, I want Well, I'd like y'all to focus, if you would, on the the educational uh, aspect of this of or organizing mm-hmm. and and base building. You know, bringing people to the yes. table to build their own base. Um, right. You know, which right. is one of the models of the Highlander Center. You know, Midwest right. Academy Project South. You know, to name a few. Um, could you talk about the the pedagogical educational uh, roots of that? Uh, of 
um, you know, naming the moment, uh, having, you know, folks name their own moment uh, as a way to, to build um, and organize from that, from their collective stories. Colleen, you want to start or? Yeah, uh, I guess one thing is, you know, the, the Cairo Center, which, which was originally, for about a decade, it was called the Poverty Initiative. Uh -huh. And it and it grew, you know, as Lily was saying, out of this history of the Kensington Welfare Rights Union uh -huh. and and came to Union Seminary, uh, particularly to develop this uh, to develop religious and community leaders. Uh, okay. And so, not everyone that was part of this educational process were religious, and and even among the folks that are religious, you know, not everybody was part of a you know, a conventional or, you know, not everybody was going to be ordained or mm -hmm. part of a, you know, a traditional church. Um, but we were all folks that were, were community and religious leaders and, and, and you know, a, a part of the work was developing our, our sense of leadership and our, our ability to, to move the hearts and minds of others. Mm -hmm. And that, and it, and it did begin with, you know, how did, how did we come, how did we come to this work? And then bringing to that a, a real uh, a real scholarship and really you know, uh -huh. studying history. What were the moments of history where yeah. where social change happened, and and in moments of history where there was the possibility for change, why? Uh -huh. How was that change stopped, or how was it changed or, uh -huh. or cut short? Uh -huh. um, and including in that, you know, looking at the Bible as a moment of of history when people yeah. were in struggle, and looking at you know the the abolitionist movement here that won freedom from slavery, but then how was the, the moment of reconstruction cut short by mm -hmm. dividing the poor along race lines? And, yeah. these, and then looking, really looking to understand economics, that this is, this is a place where our mm -hmm. education system cuts short our ability to really understand the world around us and sort of makes it mystified uh, and yeah. makes it something that we have to turn over to to authorities and to, but then to really actually study ourselves and really understand uh, these systems and understand uh, how they're made the way that they're made and who mm -hmm. they benefit and who they don't and so doing this with um, both religious and community leaders and uh, really emphasizing that um, we, we call it the poverty scholars program yeah uh, and it and it focuses on the four C's uh, commitment connectedness, clarity, and competence, mm -hmm. sort of developing ourselves in, in all of those areas, and that we really can't develop others until we have taken time to develop ourselves. And, and that actually happens at the same time. It's a constant process of, of develop, further developing our own leadership, our own understanding, and our own connectedness. Mm -hmm. um, but then part of how that development happens is as we begin to go into work in the world, we see mm -hmm. where where we where we fall short, where we need to know more, where the questions are, um, and then come mm -hmm. back together and and continue to learn. And this this network of of poverty scholars uh, is national and, and even international, and it's been an important part of um, what has come together right now around the poor people's campaign. Yeah, the the work that we're that we're taking up, but. But that, that many decades work of becoming poverty scholars and developing ourselves as, as scholars and as, as mm -hmm. that, that leadership, 
the big you know the leadership is is not some is not an afterthought to organizing, but it is how we organize ourselves, and it is how we make possible um, the kinds of change that are necessary. Mm-hmm. So in this that, the, yeah. Oh, um, in that, no, how do you um, how do you define leadership? Because Lily, maybe I'll pass. Yeah, Lily, I'll yeah. pass this to you. Yeah, because sometimes sure. leadership well, is sort of a hierarchical model, you know, in terms of the corporate yeah. world. Um, and so in terms of, a, you know, base movement building, how do you define leadership and where's, you know, the power in, in that defining? Well, there's, well, first of all, I think the, the mass perception of leadership is, is the individual leader, the mm-hmm. one leader. And it, it is lends itself to a kind of hierarchical and uh, type of approach to leadership when if leadership is going to be well-grounded, it has to have... Uh, knowledge that springs from a collectivity mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a collective brain process in which everybody makes a contribution in terms of the, of the complexity of the problem and, and getting at an accurate description of the problem because your solution mm-hmm. is directly related to, to the accuracy. Your accurate solution is tied to your accurate assessment of the problem. If you think that the problem, the problem is one of a teddy bear and really is a grizzly bear, you'll get in trouble. You're yeah. going to be in trouble. <laughs> Real trouble. Your set of tactics is directly, and your organizational approach to the problem is directly related to your 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 estimate of of the problem. And uh, and so I think the problem of, of leadership being collective, grounded mm-hmm. in a collective, and a collective uh, contribution is especially on, a, on a, in these times where uh, we're dealing with a complexity when we talk about poverty. Poverty is connected yeah. to the problems of, of inequality of women, the inequality, the, the inequality in society, all the various inequality ratio, you name it, yeah. as well as the the the, 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 uh, the environment, uh, the questions of war and peace. Poverty is tied mm-hmm. to the economy. It's tied to all these things. It presents a complexity that can be best grasped if it's grasped collectively. Mm-hmm. And the whole notion of a thinker, a leader. Uh, I think is symbolized in, in our culture and how we see it is symbolized in, in the famous Dante uh, statue of the thinker. If you can mm-hmm. see that before, he's this one individual guy who's kind of kneeling, sitting yeah. down, thinking. But he's really taking a shit. <laughs> because <laughs> it is, he's not, because real thinking, yeah. smart thinking is a product of collectivity. It's a is a collective brain fry. It is absolutely stupid only to think with your brain. Yeah. It's smart when you think with your mm-hmm. brain plus other brains. And mm-hmm. so collectivity of thought, collectivity of leadership, that has to be the situation that we have to strive for today. If we're going to resolve the complex problems that are besetting our nation and is you know, uh, uh, crippling our, our future generations and is becoming globalized. And so anyway, uh, education mm-hmm. is that, that really enhanced collectivity is the kind of education that's absolutely critical. I should also say that that uh, I've my experience over the years if, in terms of organizing and building toward a solution. And you got to, I mean, any mm-hmm. any uh, glance at the problems we are faced today. Clearly, we have to say we're dealing with a big problem, yeah. and a big problem requires a big solution. Mm-hmm. And uh, a big solution in, in terms of social problems always has to 
uh, be result from a, uh, a social movement. And social mm -hmm. movement and organizing is more than just mobilizing bodies. It's about moving hearts and minds. And so education has to be at the center of the organizing process. And I learned that because I, I was a trade union organizer and trade union uh, uh, shop steward. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very familiar with trade union organizing. I was a community organizing. And what's very uh, uh, missing in those processes, especially in relationship to, com to the complexity of the problems that we face today, is this political, theoretical, all kinds of education that needs to help in moving hearts and minds, just not simply moving yeah. bodies for a rally or, or a bargaining position and so on, but a sustained effort mm -hmm. uh, to build a critical mass to move these complex problems that we're confronting with today. So education becomes central to that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to confronting power and uh, yes. finding what's called the, the cracks in the dominant structure, which is... And, you know, uh, the, people, the people who, who benefit from the existing status quo, they're no joke. They're very sophisticated. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to challenge them with just simply sentimentalism. You've got to match your sophistication with their sophistication. Mm -hmm. Never in history has there been a dumb force that rose up to defeat a smart force. And the people that we're up against who intend to maintain a system that's killing us and making more life miserable to increasing mm -hmm. segments of the population, we have to build the sophistication that, that matches that sophistication. And again, education becomes central, and mm -hmm. it becomes an education of that's connected to the activity. is learning as we lead, is, is yeah. uh, educating as we organize, it's teaching as we fight, it's mm -hmm. talk as we walk, it's the education that combines theory and practice immediately and not a kind yeah. of this, almost somewhat in academia, there's a separation. The concept of scholarship is almost defined by your separation from the mundane questions that are hitting us every day, as opposed to a poverty scholarship, which, mm -hmm. which necessarily has to flow from what are the problems facing society and how do we intellectually uh, give some uh, assessment and analysis to help move society forward where then the education process is inseparably tied to the, to the problems of pushing society and bettering society. That concludes part one of our conversation with the Cairo Center with Willie Baptist and Colleen Wessel McCoy. In part two, Colleen and Willie are going to talk about the grassroots awakening in this country with the West Virginia teacher strike and the new poor people's movement. And they'll offer concrete pedagogical and movement building strategies.